Conrad mentioned to me that the one hour rule is not ironclad. So <laughs> place your bets, we'll see. <laughs> All right, if you'll please turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the Lord of glory. Let's have another word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with with hearts of thanksgiving, knowing that you have called us to this point where we are, called us together as a congregation, called us individually from our, our lives of sin, and you have made us righteous, and we praise you for that, Lord. Lord, we desire once again to look into your word today, to know what you have in store for us, particularly on today's topic, the subject of hope and the hope that lies within us, and that we will indeed rejoice in the hope that you have given us. So I pray, Lord, that you would be with me, give me the words to speak, and if I say anything in error and in foolishness, uh, please strip that from the listener's ear, and only uh, your truth remain with them, and that they may be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'd like to uh, title this morning's message after the text we just read in Romans 5, Rejoicing in Hope. Uh, and our study for this morning uh, will be an, a biblical overview to give us an understanding what is biblical hope. What is biblical hope? We'll look at uh, where does hope originate, who possesses biblically defined hope, uh, and then lastly we're going to examine some of the practical implications of biblical hope. And Lord willing, as we examine and attempt to gain an understanding of biblical hope, the end result will be, as Paul lays out for us here, that we will rejoice in the hope that we have. Both Paul and Peter have a lot to say about the subject of hope, and we're going to do a fair amount of jumping from one text to another, both in, in Paul and also in 1 Peter, as well as some other areas. But I do want to start in the chapter we've, we've opened our Bibles to here in chapter 5. And once again, I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 5, and, and then we'll get some context also. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you remember the context of Romans 5 as Paul's detailed explanation of justification by faith, which he's laid out in the previous chapters for us, uh, so in order to gain a little bit of a better understanding of hope and how he's uh, included it here in, in chapter 5. We're going to have to go back to uh, Romans 4 and, and even look at uh, some things in chapter 3 as well. you remember Paul's main purpose for writing the epistle of, uh, of Romans is to lay out in detail how unrighteous men can stand made righteous or justified before a holy God. And you'll remember in chapter 3 in verse 20, he tells us that by works of the law... Uh, no flesh will be justified in his sight, that is, in his presence, in the presence of God. And then he also maintains that uh, man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And that righteousness of God comes 
through faith in Jesus Christ. That's verse 22, chapter 3. And is a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's verse 24. And all of this is done to exclude boasting, as he says at the, uh, at the end of chapter 3 in verse 27. Then moving on into chapter 4 of Romans, Paul uses Abraham as our example of justification by faith apart from the law and also previous to uh, circumcision. And he's going to explain to us how Abraham's faith was credited to him for righteousness. And I want to pick up there, particularly we're going to look at uh, starting at verse uh, 13 of chapter 4, where Paul explains Abraham's faith with the idea of paying particular close attention to this text uh, about Abraham's faith and how that faith relates to our topic of hope this morning. Uh, This is a very rich doctrinal layered text, and and I think sometimes we come to it and we're studying justification by faith and uh, we're looking at all these other things and sometimes we miss out on the, the hope part of it, but we'll see hope is a very important aspect of what Paul has to say here. So in verse 13 of chapter 4, Paul, using Abraham as the example of the the father of the faithful, uh, the example of being made righteous by faith, says, For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only of those who are of the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, he who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. And then verse 18, which is the focus of our topic today. In hope against hope, he believed, or as the King James says, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, Peter believed or was faithing, as, as the, the word for believed here is the verb tense of faith, or pistuo, which we've talked about many times. And so what Paul is telling us is that Abraham's faith was directly tied to his hope, in that it accompanied with his faith, in that accompanied with his faith was a hope or a confident expectation, uh, as we'll continue to define it as we look into what Paul has to say about it here. So Abraham had confidence in trusting God and accompanying his faith was a looking forward to expectation or a hope that God would fulfill the promise he made to Abraham and that he would be the father of many nations as was promised. And Abraham had both faith and hope despite the circumstances that he was in, his old age which would not nor and, and Sarah's, which would not normally lead anyone to be uh, hopeful in that circumstance, but he trusted God above the circumstance. So biblical hope and genuine believing faith go hand in hand. Uh, you can't have hope without faith. 
And in a bit, we're going to look a little more of that. And when we see in Hebrews how faith is the substance of things hoped for. So it's, it's tied hand in hand. They go together. Uh, you can't have hope without genuine faith. And then I'm going to continue to read just to get us the lead back into chapter 1 of, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5. The rest of chapter 4 here, picking up on, uh, verse 18, in hope against hope. He believed so that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be without becoming weak in faith. He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited for him, but for our sakes also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over because of our transgression and raised because of our justification. And then we go into our text. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained an introduction or an access, as some translations have it, by faith into this grace into which we stand. We rejoice or exult as it says in, in a few of the translations that you see, we rejoice or exult in hope of the glory of God. Where there's faith and justification by that faith, we should see hope tied to that. And not just hope, but rejoicing in hope and that to the glory of God. Uh, the Greek word that's used for rejoice, uh, and I'm going to butcher this, but you can correct me later, Steve. Kalkaomahi. Something like that. So you can correct me later on that. I want to hear how it's actually pronounced. <laughs> the Greek word that's used here for rejoicing is actually a, a stronger, deeper definition than, than just rejoice. It actually goes beyond that. And in other places, it's translated to, to boast or to glory in. And I think that that tells us something about hope that we are to really cherish it and embrace it, exalt in it as the, the ESV translation is, and, and that to the glory of God. Uh, Paul's not finished talking about hope here in chapter 5. He's got some very other important things to say, uh, how it relates to justification by faith. Um, you know, We've already seen with the example of Abraham that Abraham did not waver in his faith. He did not doubt and now we're going to look at uh, what he's got to say here uh, in chapter 4, the rest of chapter 4 here. So Abraham was the original father of the faithful, and he and as such defined hope for us. Uh, the expectation, uh, the firm expectation that didn't make sense in light of the evidence of, of his old age and, and his wife's old age. And then the justification, uh, he was gifted by that faith and how justification also extended to us who believe in the name and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So also we have access and we stand firm in the faith that we've been given, that's been granted to us. 
And now Paul is going to continue here in verse 3 after saying that we are to rejoice in our hope. He says, and not only this, but also exalt in your tribulation, in our tribulations. Well, wait a minute, Paul. I was with you on the rejoicing in hope, but this rejoicing or exalting in our tribulations, that sounds a bit more scary. I don't know if I can do that. Well, Paul's going to lay it out for us, and it's going to make sense, and it's going to, he's going to tie it back to hope. He says, and not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, does not put to shame, there is no fear, there is no disgrace, so we see tribulation through the process here that Paul lays out turns into hope that does not disappoint. That's, that's only a, a God thing that could take something like tribulation, a seeming negative, and turn it into a positive thing such as hope that does not and will not disappoint. And why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. So we should see and we should start to get a, a biblical, an understanding of biblical hope here. We see that it is a confident expectation uh, and hope works in tandem with our faith. And, and when we call it a, a confident expectation, we're really saying a with faith expectation. Because we know confidence from the Latin means con with faith fide. So we're saying a with faith expectation when we say a uh, uh, a confident expectation. And I think that's a, that a, a joyful expectation with genuine faith is a good biblical understanding of what hope is, a good biblical working definition. And as we pointed out a bit ago, the, the author of Hebrews says it this way, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance. It's the essence. It's that what's at heart of what hope actually is. Without faith, you can't have hope, certainly not biblical hope. A faithless hope is not a hope at all. Faith is the substance of what hope is, and if we try to separate faith from hope, it starts looking more like the world's definition of hope and not a biblical hope. When we get things like, well, I hope I, hope I get that raise, or I hope my team wins, where there's that's the world's definition of hope, where there's, it's just a, a multitude of possibilities. It's not a confident expectation of hope. The world's definition of hope is a hope that will, uh, again and again, lead to disappointment, especially if it's your team that, that you're, you're hoping for. <laughs> yes, the Browns, for sure. <laughs> so you see, uh, biblical hope does not carry with it that element of doubt. So when we define it, we've, we have to be sure to, to understand it as, as that confident expectation without the, the fleshly desire of doubt does not disappoint uh, because it is made up of genuine faith. It is confident expectation without wavering or without doubt. If you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago in our verse-by-verse -verse study on Sunday mornings, we finished up chapter 14 of Romans uh, when Jim was going through that. And if you remember at the very end, the, the context that Paul is speaking there is uh, about whether or not 
to eat or abstain from particular foods. And, and he says there, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating, because his eating is not of faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So it's the doubt that makes it not of faith and therefore sin. So genuine faith does not have doubt. And genuine faith as the substance of hope, we therefore can understand that hope does not carry with it doubt, but is rather a confident, assured expectation that does not disappoint. Now, I want to say also that myself, and I'm probably sure you as well, are thinking, well, wait a minute, I do have doubts. I sometimes doubt my faith, doubt my hope, whatever it may be. The reality is we all live in sin. We all do have doubts occasionally. So how do we harmonize those? How do we know um, when we have doubts like that, but yet we see this biblical definition of hope and of faith as being without doubt? Well, the key, I think, to understand is to understand that, that our doubts emanate or come from our flesh. And the hope and the faith come from the spirit. And, it, and it's that Romans 7 conflict, the flesh warring against the spirit within us, that often creates that confusion and brings about that doubt. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little more uh, later. And there's, there's a, a wonderful verse in the book of Psalms that, that I want to uh, give to you to help you with a little bit of an encouragement through that. Uh, I know it was encouraging for me. So that should give us kind of a uh, start of a definition as to what hope is. That hope also through tribulation increases. It does not disappoint. It doesn't let us down. It's the source of our rejoicing. Hope is a necessary, vital aspect of the Christian life. I wanted to uh, include a, a, an analogy here. There's a uh, or an illustration. I like various World War II movies, and there's a particular one that I like, that has a scene that, that always makes me kind of contemplate hope when I see it. Um, and this particular movie is, is about the German siege of Stalingrad with the Soviets. And, and of course, uh, if you remember, the, the Germans bombed Stalingrad, and, and things were looking very bleak. The Soviets were well outgunned, and uh, it was so bad that, uh, as the scene in this movie the new soldiers that they were bringing in were going to the front lines to battle and without a weapon they had to wait for the soldier in front of them to pass on so they could grab that weapon and continue the fight. Pretty bleak scene. Well, there's a scene in this, this particular movie where General Khrushchev is there uh, in a bunker with the other chiefs of staff and some of the other leaders and they're trying to figure out how to encourage the men because obviously uh, morale is quite low. Uh, and so he, he asked them for their opinions, what can we do? And immediately some of the, some of the various leaders shout out, like, well, we should shoot all the generals who retreat, teach them a lesson so that you know, they'll know. And, and someone else shouts out, we, sh- we should deport their families as well. Do that so that they, they can really learn the lesson. And then one man says, give them hope. And he says, we have to make them believe in victory. And then it's from that in, the, in this particular movie that, uh, that turns the tide and they, they, they start uh, producing a hopeful message that uh, gives them the momentum to win. But whenever I've watched that, I've always seen that and I've 
contemplated in my Christian life, in my personal walk, how necessary hope is for me, particularly to get through my personal conflicts and my own battles as well, that to be able to go to that well of hope that, that we've been gifted, that we've been given, uh, is a wonderful blessing, and it's, it's, a, it's a necessary thing for us as Christians. So uh, in this Christian life, of course, we will have suffering, we will have difficulty and, and tribulation, uh, as Paul has laid out for us here, but, but that can and, and does lead to a hope that does not disappoint. Second Timothy tells us that uh, if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we'll, we will suffer tribulation. But we have that hope that it does produce a doubtless hope for us. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So our hope is a vital and important sustaining force for us. All right, so we've, we've got a, a definition here of, of confident with faith expectation for hope that does not disappoint. And now with that understanding, we want to look at a few other things. We want to look at where does hope come from? We want to look how do we obtain hope? And then we're also going to look at some of the practical implications of hope. And kind of as we look at all those different angles, we're going to gain a more rich and full sense of the definition of hope as well. So we've not completely left the definition of it yet. Let's turn to the uh, first chapter, uh, Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter has a lot to say about hope. And we're coming here to try to gain an understanding as to where our hope comes from. The context here in the opening of First Peter chapter 1, Peter is, is, has laid out his greeting. He's writing to uh, the scattered saints in Asia and the surrounding areas. And then he comes to uh, verse 3 where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us, hold on to that, that's our source, has caused us to be born again, that is a, a new birth, a regeneration that, that, that Jesus talks about to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope. This verse tells us a lot about where hope comes from. Who's the actor in this verse? God. Absolutely. God's the actor. He's the initiator. Through Jesus Christ, he's the one that caused us to be born again into this living hope. And that is in accordance with his great mercy that he dispensed upon us. So, did your hope come from you? No, no, it was a gift. It came from God, part of the new birth. And if you'll notice here, he defines the hope as and describes it as a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's an active, living, reliable source for us. It does not, as we read before, it does not disappoint. Uh, it's a reliable, living hope that we've been birthed into by being born again by the Holy Spirit. And that is what gives us great hope. And 
The other thing that we have to notice here in this passage is how is that the hope, we're given that hope, but it is also in accordance with the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. That is the assurance of our hope, the guarantee of our hope, that the resurrection of Christ as the first truths is the guarantee of our hope of our resurrection as well. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, in that context, defending and proclaiming the resurrection and its importance, says there, after telling us that uh, if Christ has not been raised, then, then he, Paul, his preaching is in vain, and that our faith is also in vain if indeed Christ is not raised. And then he says in uh, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, meaning without the resurrection, we are of all men most to be pitied. So without the resurrection of Christ, we don't have any hope. Our hope is tied directly to the resurrection of Christ. And, and he continues in uh, from 19 into 20 in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, But now, present reality, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So Paul is saying the same thing that, that Peter told us in chapter 1 of First uh, uh, Peter, that our hope comes by the means of the resurrection of Christ. If Christ is not raised, our condition is pitiful and hopeless. But since Christ is raised and is the first fruits of our resurrection, well then we have a living hope, the hope that Paul and Peter both describe, a confident expectation a living, bottomless well that we can continue to draw from because we have that surety of the resurrection of Christ. Amen. By the way, a bit later we're going to talk about, and this is, actually, this is in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to talk about giving an answer to others about the hope that is within us because there's an expectation within Scripture that the hope that resides in us is a living and vibrant hope. So to such a degree that others will see that hope, notice it, and inquire about it. And so they will want to know what it is about you that's different. They want to know about that hope. And our answer to them better include the resurrection of Christ because that's what our hope is tied to. So if someone asks about our hope, we need to include the resurrection of Christ so they know its source from where it comes. He got up so we know that we as well will get up because he is the assurance of our resurrection. So I also wanted to uh, look at Romans 8. Uh, Paul also tells us there how our hope is tied to the resurrection. And you don't have to turn there. Romans 8, you remember here in verse 11, he's, Paul's speaking about our being united to the Spirit in the same way that uh, Christ uh, was, was united with the Spirit in his resurrection. He says in verse 11, If the Spirit of Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the Spirit uh, which dwells in you. So, that's our guarantee. That's our guarantee. If we have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead within us, we also have that 
real, confident expectation of a future resurrection as well. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us is the assurance that our mortal bodies will also be given life as Christ uh, arose from the dead. And then later, and this is, this is how he ties it to hope later on in, in chapter 8, uh, if we drop down to uh, verse 23, he ties this same thought to our hope when he says, uh, And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we have been saved. So we have been saved into a confident expectation of a resurrected body. For in this hope we have been saved. This, this hope that we're our, we, we have this adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. That sounds like a living hope. And then he continues, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees. That gives us a little more of an explanation of, of hope there, that it's an expectant future hope. It's not a, uh, we have a hope now, but it is towards a future expected reality, not right now. But hope that is seen is not hope for we hope for what we do not already see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we with perseverance wait for it eagerly. So there's an emotional aspect um, of our hope that's tied to an eagerness and excitement to see its fulfillment. When we talk about it being a living hope, when we talk about our eager expectation of it, there's a sense uh, about that that we can really cling to uh, emotionally and know that we are secure by the hope that Christ has given us. So the Christian hope uh, really gives us a, a confident expectation tied to the promises of God, tied to the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. uh, And that's a hope that can sustain us through the temporal tribulation that we're called to go through. So now we've established a good understanding of of what biblical hope is. And we've seen from 1 Peter where it originates, that we've been birthed into it. Uh, We have been caused to be birthed into it by God through the, uh, the work of Jesus Christ. And we've seen both from Peter and from Paul that our hope is tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, that resurrection of Christ is our down payment that guarantees our hope of, of a resurrection as well. So that gives us a, an understanding of where it originates, from whom it's given, its destination, who receives it. But I also want to look at, in that question of of who receives it, kind of the opposite side of the spectrum, who doesn't receive that hope, who does not have that hope. And and for that, I want to go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's going to kind of give us the other side, uh, those who are without that hope. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's... uh, encouraging his audience in regard to those among them who have passed on, who, who've deceased, and their questions surrounding that. And he tells us uh, in verse, uh, we're going to look at verse 13, but I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. So he's saying, uh, this is important. I want you to get this. I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep 
so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Who have no hope. So Paul has just contrasted the brethren here, the church at Thessalonica, with those who do not have any hope, those who would grieve. Why would Christians, why would we not grieve in in a sense that the rest of the world was? What is it about us that we would not grieve in the same way? Because we have that hope. That's that's the distinguishing factor. We know that uh, there is that expectation that our deceased brethren and we ourselves one day have a hope of an eternal life, an eternal resurrection that we can look to. But sadly, the reality is that those who do not have that, unfortunately, they are hopeless. They are without hope. They have no hope. That's a, a sad reality. I guess it would be a, a, a hopeless expectation, be an accurate description of, of those who do not have Christ Jesus and don't know him, uh, who are without hope. Just because it's such a, a good encouragement here, read the, the rest of what he's saying here in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians. And this is a source for us to go to to help and encourage one another. I'll, I'll read from verse 13 again. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There's a great source of comfort in there for us within that hope that he laid out for us. Now, unless we're boastful or, or we, we start to think that, uh, you know, the hope that we have is, is something that perhaps was always with us and, and we rationalize it to think that, yeah, I've always had that hope, but, you know, now that I'm a Christian, it's become a more real hope. Well, actually... Paul says something different to us in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in explaining hope. He says, uh, and this this is in the context of him uh, speaking about how we've been made alive uh, through Christ uh, apart from our own works. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at times, he's talking about the the times before they were made alive in Christ, while they were dead in their trespasses, and before in that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So our condition prior to being made alive is the same condition that he just laid out in 
First uh, Thessalonians 4. It's, it's hopeless. It's, it's having no hope. We are in the same condition. So thankfully, God has met us with his grace, made us alive, and given us this wonderful hope that we can use in our lives to bring peace and to encourage one another with. So our position is that we are made alive in Christ, and because of that, we no longer have hopelessness as do others. We're no longer ignorant and hopeless, um, but now we've been enlightened by his spirit and entrusted with a living hope that does not disappoint. So with some biblical clarity and some understanding of, as to uh, what hope is, where it comes from, and, and who possesses it, uh, we want to transition into talking about the practical implications of hope. What does it mean in our walk? What does it mean in the Christian life to have hope? And I trust that as we've looked through some of this, you've started to get some sense uh, of why we're called to rejoice in hope, why we're called to, to cling to that. And I'll, I'll be honest, as I underwent this study previous to that, I, you know, I knew hope was sprinkled in various different passages and different texts, and I hadn't done like a thorough study on hope by itself to try to understand it. And um, it's really been a wonderful blessing. And I've I've come to find out there's so much more. This is this really is an overview. There's so much more in the scriptures that talk about hope. So I, I do encourage you as well, and if you, if you have the means to and able to, that you know do a study on your own just to see all the different scriptures that, that the teaching of hope is laid out because it is a wonderful encouragement as it was to me, and I, I hope you get some sense of that. Uh, so let's go back to First uh, Peter. I told you we'd be jumping around. Let's go back to 1 Peter and, and look at some of the, uh, the other things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us there concerning the practical implications of hope. And actually, I do want to look at 1 Peter uh, 3.15, which we referenced previously about uh, giving account for the hope that is within us. And this is within the context of living a godly life in the face of scrutiny when one is being maligned for their faith. Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer for, sake, uh, suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled, but sanctify as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. So the hope we possess, the hope that the world doesn't possess and that doesn't see, ought to be a visible distinguishing factor that prompts others uh, who don't have it to inquire for an explanation. They, they, they ought to, to see a difference within you. They ought, that hope ought to resonate out and, and in a way that uh, will make others want to know what it is about you that, that can cause you to go through tribulation and distress and yet still remain hopeful. It's a simple fleshly reaction to go through trials and difficulties and react in a way that uh, is not hopeful and that's what the world expects. So if that is displayed, no question or no reason for inquiry remains. But in light of that, by rejoicing in hope while being maligned, 
then we can make someone uh, want to know more. We talk a lot about uh, the increasing cost to our, uh, our faith as being a Christian in, in the world today. We, there's news stories we see every day that uh, is becoming more and more difficult as the, the world around us trying to be doing everything it can to stamp out the truth of God, to stamp out his love and anything like that. doesn't want to hear that. But really, we need to be mindful that in light of that, that presents to us a great opportunity to display the hope that is within us up and against that darkness that's out there. So it, it, it creates a wonderful opportunity. And I, I was reading a story, uh, if you remember, a few years ago when ISIS uh, beheaded, I think it was 21 or 25 uh, Christian Christians and, and televised it or, or filmed it and, and it was displayed around the world. Uh, I know there was, a, there was a story of some of the family members who had not been converted that saw that. And uh, they, were, they thanked ISIS that they did not block out the words that some of the Christians who were praying uh, had said because they were praying about and thanking Jesus through that. And they said that actually sustained their faith and brought them to faith. So that, that's an example, a very true example of being able to see hope in light of difficulty and uh, persecution of the, of the worst kind yet come through and God is glorified, and others ask about the hope that is within. First Peter chapter 1, there he had taught us a, a lot about where hope comes from, the, the cause of it. But as we look into the practical applications of hope, uh, he's got more to say. And I want to, we started uh, at the first part of First Peter chapter 1. I want to look at what he says in verse 3 as he continues discussing hope. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, or as the King James says, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, this is a, a strong imperative. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely. So it's interesting here that we see uh, in, in this chapter 1 of First Peter, he gives us both an indicative and an imperative concerning hope. There's an indicative in verse 3 uh, where we're told that positionally, by the mercy of God, we are born into a living hope. That's, that's nothing we had a part of. And yet we drop down here to uh, verse 13. And he gives us a, a, a strong imperative that we are called to prepare our minds and to fix or direct the hope that we've been entrusted with uh, completely on the grace that is set before us, brought to us at the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a wonderful indicative and imperative going on here, similar to what uh, we're taught throughout scriptures concerning faith, that faith is a gift. Uh, and yet we're also called to walk by faith, to stand firm in our faith, to take up the shield of faith. And so it is also with hope that we're expected to exercise the hope that we've been given First Thessalonians three uh, one three says that we are to remain steadfast in the hope. Uh, we are to make useful work of the hope we've been gifted by fixing, uh, honing in our hope on what's the object? On Christ Jesus, He's the object of our hope, the object of our eagerness that Paul talked about in Romans, and He is the reason that we rejoice in hope. Paul, in his uh, introduction 
to Timothy, he says it this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope? Christ Jesus, who is our hope? To Timothy, uh, my true child in the faith. Christ is our hope. I want to take another look here at another practical application of hope particularly how we're called to uh, gird ourselves with hope. And this one in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, the context here being that the Paul has just informed us about the coming day of the Lord and how it's to come as a thief in the night upon those who don't know the Lord yet on those who do, on the church, it's not to come as a thief in the night. Why? Because we're not in darkness as they are. And so he commands us to remain sober and vigilant. And then he says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness. The day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be sober and alert. Uh, Let us be alert and sober for those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of our salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the helmet, the hope of our salvation. Specifically in this context, the hope uh, is an expectation, a deliverance from the wrath to come, the day of our Lord uh, that he's laying out here. But there's a clear imperative here to take on and shield our head, the most vital aspect of ourselves, our, our heads, our minds, our brains, to protect that with a helmet of hope. It's a wonderful picture of how we are to use hope as a defense against uh, tribulation, distress, whatever it may be, even against uh, our own flesh uh, warring within us, bringing about doubt. So it's a, a beautiful picture there. The importance, the necessity of hope in our lives and to remain vigilant and to uh, understand that we do have a hope of salvation that uh, we can protect us about as a helmet, as a shield for ourselves. I hope you're getting some sense of a, uh, the, the biblical importance of hope and how useful it is to, to protect ourselves and, and to... Uh, by appealing to it as a, as a living and as a, uh, a hope that does not let us down um, and that we are called to gird ourselves up with it and that we are called to rejoice and encourage one another uh, with it. And that's, that's Paul's fervent prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. He wants us to know, to be assured, to be established in the hope that we've been given, to be aware of, emboldened by, to consider, to meditate on that hope. It's a, it's a marvelous blessing to be gifted the hope that we have, the, the confident expectation 
that we've been so graciously granted. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to rejoice in it. And I hope that having a a message and be able to look at some of these texts does cause you to uh, rejoice in in the hope that we have been given. And, And also to know that, as we talked about earlier, there are those times when we have doubts. There are those fleshly moments where we're feeling down and, and our souls are in despair and we don't feel that hope. And David also uh, felt that way. And this is the, the verse of encouragement that I really uh, wanted to leave you with because I found it a, a wonderful encouragement towards hope as well. And this is in Psalm 42. David says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope in God. That's our call. That's our call. That's what we're commanded to do when when we are in despair. We've all been there, but yet we are called to hope in the Lord And to know that he has overcome already for us. So so we have that expectation of a future reality. And and really, this as I've engaged in this study, it's such a quick overview. But also, uh, there's there's so much that we didn't talk about, including uh, the scripture talks frequently about the hope of eternal life. We talked about the hope of the resurrection, but even beyond that to eternal life, we have a hope as well. And the scriptures talk to us about uh, Revelation 21, the, uh, uh, the eternal state and what we have to hope towards there. And I really think perhaps if the Lord is willing and, and, and maybe at some time there's a part two could do uh, with this message that would really focus on that hope, the, the hope of eternal life. Because really I've only uh, just kind of scratched the surface on the topic of hope. But... I pray that it's been um, helpful to you. It's been an encouragement for me to look into this topic of hope. And, and I trust that uh, you've been edified by it. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your rich blessings to us, for displaying your mercy and your grace to us, and for instilling into us a hope a confident expectation that one day these mortal bodies will put on immortality and that we will be with you uh, forevermore and we won't have to worry about disease or difficulty or whatever it may be, but we can see and know you as you are. That's the hope that we've been given. And during our times of despair, when our soul is distressed, we pray that you would help us through your spirit to gird us up so that we could appeal to the hope that you have given us. And as we uh, go our separate ways, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would continue to bless this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Micah requested this hymn, and I was just looking at it again, thinking how appropriate it was to close this service. Our hope is in a person. And hymn number 63 says, Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. And he talked about those times when we really require that confident expectation. Because 
the name of Jesus, will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Isn't it great to know that one day that confident expectation will be realized? Let's sing number 63. Yeah. 